your state, your team, your show. This is Sports Nightly. Adrian gets the snap, holds it, looks, sets, throws, pass, caught one, yeah, first down, hits on the 20, 15, shoots the defender, 10, 5, touchdown, Nebraska, Juan Dale Robinson's first touchdown as a Cornhusker. Now, let's check the pulse of Husker Nation with your hosts, Greg Sharp and Ben McLaughlin. Am I the only one that thinks it's kind of crazy that the AP puts out a top 25 with teams that aren't playing this year? And what, what sense does that make? I mean, <laughs> Big Ten packed 12 out and have been for 13 days. I, I know sometimes the AP has their voters submit a ballot early on, but 13 days ago, those two conferences bailed. Why, why put them in? Am I off my rocker, Ben? What's the deal? Why, why put those guys in? Yeah, I mean, there's the, the precedents that are set this year are, are just – this is just a really tough, tough year to do any of that, you know, rankings. And, you know, I even uh, was doing some some digging today on, on a couple of college football teams and was thumbing through my Athlon magazine. And I'm just thinking, you know, thumbing through pages and conferences going, yeah, well, this this is irrelevant. This is irrelevant. This is irrelevant. It's just got to be uh, I mean, I mean, it's a weird situation for sure, but at some point you have to ad- adjust your curve, you would think. I mean, because you're not going to put Ohio State in the college football playoff. So, yeah, I mean, I think we just got to kind of soldier on as, you know, without these teams. I, I, think, I think it's kind of irresponsible of the AP to do that. I mean, you have 77 FBS teams that are currently right now set to play football starting in 10 days. The first game is – Thursday, September the 3rd, Southern Miss and UAB. You have 77 schools to put together your top 25. You have conferences that have two weeks ago said, we're not playing. And the AP puts them in, and you talked about the college football playoff. I wasn't going to start with this, but Tim put it in the ticker, so it got me all riled up here. The college football playoff committee today came out with their schedule. They're going on as is. If those conferences, if those 77 teams play a regular season, there is going to be a playoff. And January 1 is the the main bowl games, including the two national semifinal dates, uh, January 1st. They put out the schedule. This bowl game is going to have this semifinal. That one's going to have this one. So college football world is moving on, even though the Big Ten and Pac-12 have long said two weeks ago, 13 days ago, whatever you want to be, uh, specific we're done we're out we're finished we are not playing football in this conference or the pact i just think it's ridiculous the ap comes out with a poll now the coaches poll came out before the decision by the other leagues to to exit stage left that's okay you can't blame them for that but this ap just looks silly to me and by the way yeah the college football committee did come out today with their bracket they are moving forward uh with their playoff plans, and it kind of makes you sit there and go, okay, what's the Big Ten going to do? You're going to play after the playoffs? Um, they've even announced, Ben, their their uh, selection committee rankings. The first one comes out Tuesday, November 17th, then the 24th, then December 1st, then the 8th, and then the reveals on the 15th. And then you've got the uh, – all-State Sugar Bowl and the Rose Bowl are your national semifinals on Friday the 1st with the national championship game on Monday the 11th. Selection Sunday is the 20th, uh, and here we go. So the playoff committee is like, 
we're going. If those conferences play, we're going. So I just think it's weird that the AP, come on. I mean, how do you put a team in your poll that isn't playing? It's unbelievable to me. Right, okay, that's my rant for the night. All right, here's what we have coming up on the program tonight. Mitch Sherman of the, of the Athletic is going to join us. He's been covering the unusual events for the last couple of weeks. In fact, he's over in Council Bluffs right now trying to get a post-practice interview with Thomas Fedoni, the outstanding tight end, who's going to announce this week where he's headed to play college football. Uh, so Mitch is going to join us here in a little bit. We're going to talk to Jones Angel, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. In hour number two, North Carolina had to shut practices down last Thursday. They have closed their campus. They have sent students back home, but they've kept the athletes on campus to try to get ready for the college football season. They open on Saturday the 12th against the Syracuse Orangemen. We'll get the latest on what's how the football team has handled this at North Carolina for, from uh, Jones Angel. Uh, we'll also talk to Alan True, who is a national college football uh, recruiting guru with rivals. Austin Norman had a chance to catch up with him. We'll hear that conversation coming up in hour two. Ben will have our weekend rewind in hour number three. We'll have our weekend winners also in hour three. And always, phone lines are open and available for you at 531-500-4686. That's also doubles up as our U.S. cellular text line. U.S. Sugator, the official wireless provider of Husker Athletics. Speaking of recruiting, Ben, it was a good start to the week for the Huskers as Kobe Bretz, a defensive back from Omaha West Side, committed to Scott Frost and the Cornhuskers today. He becomes the 15th member of the 2021 class, only got offered a couple of days ago and quickly decided to become a Cornhusker. So Nebraska keeps an in-state guy in Kobe Bretz. Your thoughts about keeping one of the locals here, here on the Husker roster? Yeah, this this happened rather quickly. Um, you know, you think back to uh, just a few days ago. I'm not sure if it was Friday or or even Saturday um, that that Kobe Bretz received his Husker offer. Uh, pull it up here. It was the the 24th, or no, that was today. So it was the 21st. So three days. Yeah. Um, that's how quickly it happened, and and based on what we were hearing from our recruiting insiders um it it sounded like this was a dream scenario for brett's to be able to to get the nebraska offer um obviously being from west side and having avante dickerson in his backyard he's he's been around plenty of of college coaches and and most of it relative to his teammate but you know he himself has started to to gather a little bit more momentum um in 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 terms of of recruiting and you know him being a safety dickerson being a corner you know he started to to see a little bit more offers come in kansas state is probably the next biggest one but you know up to a three-star uh it felt good to just have this go so quickly and good size six two about 185 pounds i think um you know the huskers waited to identify him and and see some growth and obviously knew you know his interest level in their school and you always love these these in-state guys that that they're that passionate about the Huskers where it takes less than 72 hours for them to want to jump on jump on that offer you wish it would happen a little bit more than than maybe it does which you know it, it's the day and age in recruiting and it happens but it's always nice when you know you put an out an offer late in the week and then by 
I think I think I was up by eight o'clock this morning on Twitter, and he had already committed. So, uh, you know, it didn't take much time at all for him to jump on the offer and uh, to get another in-state guy, especially, you know, at a school, the same school that that Dickerson's going to. That's a good thing, and you know, it's not a high-profile guy, it's not a four or five-star guy, but it's a guy that's in our backyard, and people would be upset if somebody like that had gone somewhere else. Third in-state member of this class, Teddy Prochaska, the giant offensive lineman from Elkhorn, was the first to commit to this class nearly a year ago. And then you have Heinrich Herberg, the quarterback from Kearney, who committed uh, earlier in the summer or late late spring, and now Kobe today. Uh, so three of the 15 are in-state players from Nebraska. And, you know, I really think Scott Frost would like to have been kind of a yearly three to five Three to five members of the from the state get scholarship offers every year. I mean, Tom Osborne, I think, has told people uh, that he always kind of had a hard rule with his coaching staff back in the day that we would take at least four in-state players. Now, if there was a year that there was more than that to deserve it, we would go above four, he would say. But we wanted to take the four best players we thought were in the state of Nebraska to be a part of Husker football. I love that. I think that's great. When you have 25 a year to give out, you can you can set aside a few for your in-state, your best players in-state, uh, because it's a real honor for them to be able to play for Nebraska. Uh, so I like that. This Kobe makes the third one here today. Then, uh, uh, just about an hour and a half ago, the Husker football staff put together a video that Scott Frost tweeted out, and it was like if you were the guy taking an official visit. It's a really impressive video. It's about four minutes long. They tweeted it out a little after 4 o'clock today. You don't see the head coach tweet much. He sent this one out. Starts with a guy getting off of a private plane, being driven to the ground. They take him around town, a lot of shots of Lincoln, drop him off at the Cornhusker Hotel for their stay, and then they kind of go on and show him the rest of what a visit would be like. Going to have to start doing more and more of this stuff because probably the lack of maybe on-campus visits you're going to be able to have this fall because of the restrictions the NCAA has put on off-campus and on-campus recruiting. But this was a pretty impressive piece of video that Nebraska put out today and maybe kind of a wave of the future. No doubt. And let me just get this off my chest first. It's not a coincidence that they put this video out <laughs> today. And you mentioned um, the reason why to start the show. And Thomas Fedoni, he's announcing his commitment here in a couple days. I, yeah. I mean, that's that's doesn't take a lot of Sherlock Holmes skills to, <laughs> to figure out that there's a connection there. Um, however... You and I have a pretty good idea of what those official visits look like. You know, we see them on game days. You know, we, we, we've got some good friends that are in the equipment room who set all that stuff up and, you know, talk to the student athletes that, that host these official visitors and, and what they do and all that. So we're, we're lucky in a sense that we've seen a lot of this stuff before and, and maybe take it for granted a little bit. Um, because there are a lot of fans that don't really know when they say somebody's visiting, they assume, well, maybe they, you know, obviously you're going to show them around your campus and then you're going to go to the games, but, um, you may not know, you know, what all it all entails. And, um, you know, it starts when, as soon as those kids are getting picked up from the airport the night before, and that that's, that's when it all begins. And these coaches try and fit every possible thing to sell their school from the time, from the second that they're on cam on campus, on the ground. And you saw that um, on in the video where they say, welcome to Nebraska. That's when the pitch starts. And it doesn't end until those kids put a, a foot on the plane or drop them off at the airport or whatever the scenario. So, 
there's a lot in there. I think it's a, a great insight to what Nebraska has to offer. Uh, I think Wandale is a perfect spokesman. I think, you know, you take a high-profile recruit like that and, and kind of use him to sell your school when he could have gone anywhere in the country that he wanted to go play. Um, again, I think that that speaks volumes to what this school has to offer. And um, the other thing that I really found appealing about this video, Greg, and we knew we would start to see it sooner rather than later, is Nebraska selling the name, image, and likeness, the NIL that was passed a couple of months ago or when this whole thing was starting with coronavirus, that Nebraska is using this pioneered vision to to recruit to schools and you know I'm not in college anymore I just passed the 30 plateau a couple of months ago but even I thought it was cool that they could have their own personal logos and own personal custom songs and um, you know these things that make them special and set Nebraska apart because that appeals to college kids the same way uniforms do the same way that facilities do all that stuff is appealing and right now Nebraska um it's like Nebraska's finished 18 holes or 36 holes and are at the cut line and everybody else in the country hasn't even teed off. I mean, that's how far ahead Nebraska is with this thing. And I thought they did a great job selling that point as well. So there's a lot packed in that four, that four minutes. Again, I think um, with, the, with the commitment announcing here in a couple of days of one of the biggest uh, targets, local targets, or even national targets left on this staff's board, um, this is going to speak well to recruits, and I think that's a, that's a great thing for Nebraska to, again, set themselves apart, have their head coach be visible, have them be in front of this thing, um, and, yeah, and just, and just go from there. So very well done. Love the video, the, the, the production quality. The, I mean, everything about that video was, was pro A1. So well done to – uh, the staff that put that together, I have a feeling Aura had his hands all over that. He's mm-hmm. a very talented young man. Um, you know, it's just it's just cool to see, and I think it sold sold our our school and our university really well. Yeah, it's really well done. If you haven't seen it, go go on social media and pull it up. It's about four minutes long, but it just kind of takes you through what a visit would be like at Nebraska. A lot of the tea leaves, and I'm, I'm anxious to talk to Mitch Sherman, and he's getting backed up a little bit. They're still waiting to talk to Thomas after practice, so we're going to have to push him back a segment. But I'm anxious to hear what Mitch, if he, if he gleans anything, if Thomas has a lean at all. A lot of the tea leaves, though, Ben, are pointing to Fedoni picking Nebraska in a couple of days. And I talked about in-state recruits. He won't, if he comes, if he picks Nebraska, he's not technically, not technically an in-state recruit. But Council Bluffs is like a, an extension of the state, really. I mean, it's part of the Omaha metro area. Uh, there's just a river between the two. So in, in essence, he's kind of a homegrown recruit. But this this would may be the most high-profile guy they get in this class. He's that caliber of a, of a tight end. He is. And, again, it's not just that he's – I know there are people that are probably rolling their eyes at this. But he's a local guy. We're just going to call him a local guy. Yeah. I mean, he's a stone's throw. I mean, he's a College World Series home run at TD Ameritrade away from – you know, being a local guy, um, and in terms of just his skills, his, you know, what he can bring to a team is enough. But then you consider the other suitors of his recruitment and where he's interested in going, and it just it starts with the defending national champions uh, being one of his final schools. 
I think all of this, you know, would just be such a huge boost to Nebraska. And they need some stuff like this to happen, Greg. I mean, for crying out loud, the video happened today. And I just happened to look at the comments. And these fans just need something. They need something good. And whether it be a video or a commitment or, you know, something positive because they don't have a season – just the morale around this state just get is just a shot in the arm and just such a big boost. So the the video was awesome today. Let's hope that um, it seems like a Nebraska lean right now from everybody that, that I'm talking to and, and hearing. Uh, and again, one of the huge benefits is he's not able to go to these different places to, to visit. Um, you know, that's a huge thing. So let's hope that that bends Nebraska's way and the state can get some good news this week. Second big video dropped in the last 24 hours. The first was the full episode of Cruising with the Huskers last night with Larry the Cable Guy and Scott Frost. We had Larry with us on the program Friday night. What would you make of that little production? Uh, again, and uh, you know, the, the, these are tough times for a lot of people. And you know, we, we're just still, again, la- finished last week talking about a lot of our friends who are, are having to, to step away from work for the foreseeable future. This is, again, something that just kind of eases the heart, easy to watch, um, you know, calms us all down and provides us of, what is it, four minutes of, of just It comedic. was seven. I think it seven, was seven. Seven, yeah. I think, <laughs> yeah, you're right. Seven. Seven minutes of just comedic relaxation and, and just candid talk between, you know, two of the icons in our state, you know, Larry the Cable Guy and, and Coach Frost and um, – I liked it for a lot of reasons. Number one, again, we get the opportunity every now and again to just be around coaches when their hair's let down and when they're just talking like people, you know, talking about Coach, Coach Frost talking about the Cubs or Coach Hoiberg talking about whatever and Coach Bolt talking about the Dodgers or whatever. We get to see that sometimes. But, again, the fans don't get that a lot. And so it was really cool to have everybody just kind of see more of his personality, you know, what he's like, how, how he talks to people, you know, that little grin that he gives you when he's talking about something. You know, all that stuff is uh, it's really great for people to see and I think kind of escapes them from reality for a little bit and, uh, you know, still – Without the Huskers playing football, still something about the Huskers that they can take in and enjoy. Yeah, I enjoyed it. Coach Bolt wants to correct you. He would be talking about the Astros. Yeah, that's the, right. Not the Dodgers. Well, he might not be talking about the Astros so much now <laughs> with a smile on his face. It, 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 may, it may be kind of one of these, you know, hide-your-face type scenarios. But, yeah, he would. He'd big Astros guy. He would oh. be talking about Husker football is what he'd be yes, talking about. Yes, he would. About. No, you're exactly right. Astros are playing better right now, too. All right, um, so Mitch is going to be moved back. They're wrapping up an interview with Thomas Fedoni right now outside of his high school, so we'll get him on in the next segment. Welcome back. Sports Highly here on a Monday night. Greg Sharp with you and delighted to be joined now by Mitch Sherman of The Athletic, who is uh, – I pulled you right off the beat, right? You're over in Council Bluff seeing Thomas Fedoni, right? Uh, that is correct. Yeah, you have good information. Um, I am actually on my way back toward the Nebraska side of the river, but I just spent a little time watching. It was, it was uh, my first time in the pandemic watching a football practice, so that was kind of cool. Uh, I got to see a little a little football at Lewis Central and uh, chatted with Thomas afterwards. He is ready to make his commitment on Wednesday. Do they open their season Friday? What is their schedule over in Iowa? They do, yeah. They're playing uh, – uh, Lewis Central is playing uh, Council Bluff St. Albert on, on Friday night. So 
probably a big win for uh, for Fedoni and, and his uh, his three A team. They uh, well, they're loaded in the tight end. I walked into practice, Greg, and and within 90 seconds, Thomas Fedoni was running across the middle, 30 yards downfield, jumping high and making a one-handed catch. So <laughs> he's um, he is worthy of his ranking as the. I mean, I haven't seen them all, but I have a hard time thinking there's a lot of tight ends out there at the high school level who do, who do that. N- number one rated tight end in the country, according to uh, the 247 composite. Yeah, he's certainly garnered a ton of attention nationally. I mean, I know he plays basketball, and at some of his games last winter, you you, you could see a Jim Harbaugh sitting in the stands. You could mm-hmm. see a lot of head coaches mm-hmm. that came in to see this guy. What kind of what kind of young man does he seem like he is after you talk to him? Yeah, I've met him before. I met him. I went to uh, actually went to the basketball game or a basketball game. I guess it was the basketball game that Jim Harbaugh attended uh, in February at Lewis Central, and, and that was the first time I talked to Thomas. And then, and then again today for 15, 20 minutes, um, really down to earth, um, has not – I mean, he's, um, he's uh, easygoing, uh, doesn't seem you know, too bothered by what really has been just a lot of curveballs thrown at him in the recruiting process. Um, you know, he's got offers from coast to coast. Um, this is a kid who could have made official visits to Alabama, LSU, Ohio State, Oregon – you know, wherever he wanted, essentially, if there had been official visits in this recruiting cycle. But um, obviously there have not, and the NCAA has, has shut things down as far as even making unofficial visits to campus. Uh, Thomas made a number of unofficial visits to Lincoln before the pandemic and also to Iowa City. And Nebraska, Iowa, Michigan, and, and LSU are his, his final four that, that he's choosing from. Uh, and we'll make that announcement on Wednesday. But yeah, I mean, a, a real, a real e- easygoing kid to talk to. Grew up a Nebraska fan. Has a lot of family um, still in, in Omaha. So Nebraska has has an edge there for sure. And in, in in, in being the team that he watched most as a kid. Mitch, what's his plan Wednesday? Is he going to do the the hats on the table? Is he just going to tweet it out? What's he thinking? Um, he is going to do it on TV. Um, if uh, you're if you're uh, got KETV, you can watch it on. On Wednesday night, I'm sure uh, I don't want to make any kind of uh, announcement here as to what time it's going to be. I'll let him do that on, on his time, but it's going to be Wednesday night after after his practice um, with his uh, friends and family in Council Bluffs. Wow. Okay, we'll look forward to that. Again, we're speaking with Mitch Sherman of The Athletic here on Sports Alley on the Husker Sports Network. All right, um, I know you did a little mailbag thing with your, your readers a couple of days ago. Um, what is the what do you think the temperature of Husker fans is right now? Where where is their emotional level at with the cancellation of the season? Whew, uh, they're they're kind of uh, simmering right now. I would say <laughs> it's not it's not like a real happy place that Nebraska fans are, are in, and, and 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 I don't it shouldn't be. I mean, no, no no matter whether you agree or disagree with the decision to cancel the fall, um, <laughs> you're not pleased that it's come to this, uh, and I think that's. That speaks. I speak for Nebraska fans and and really fans of, of everybody in the Big Ten. I don't imagine there's a fan base out there that is like, um, well, this is this is good. Uh, it's bad, no matter how you slice it. It's bad for uh, the players and the coaches and the programs and the finances. And you know, we heard bad news on Friday in Nebraska. And you know, my thoughts are, are with everybody who's in, in the athletic department who's taking a furlough until the end of the year. And certainly hope that those are. Um, as temporary as as you know they they appear to be, it's it's tough. Uh, Nebraska fans, I, I think, on top of that, 
are are unhappy with the process and unhappy with the transparency and, and lack thereof that they that, that, that the Big Ten has shown in this process. It took too long, and I think the Big Ten will admit this and has admitted this. Kevin Warren has as a, as a commissioner that it took too long. Um, it was too clunky. There was there was too long of a wait after the time on August 11th when the season was shut down until last week when um, a statement came out that went into some into some some good detail about why this happened. Um, I mean, we understand. I think everybody understands this is a pandemic and it is a dangerous time to be out uh, playing football or doing other activities. But obviously, Nebraska and many schools in the Big Ten have taken or took great measures to protect their student athletes and their staff. And there wasn't enough that was said on the part of the big 10 back on October 11th uh, about why this was happening and why the league released the schedule. And then six days later, shut everything down. And I would say, you know, this is just my, my personal view on it. Uh, even in the statement that came out last week, there wasn't enough transparency. It was essentially statistics and data that you can get from various national outlets that was quoted by the Big Ten and Kevin Warren in that statement. I still would like to hear from the medical people who contributed to this decision. There was a, a task force that was directed or chaired by uh, a doctor at UNMC, and you know he's not in allowed by the Big Ten to do an interview or speak about this. So you know, I hope going forward that as we get further uh, into, into August or into September and we start to get a sense of, of what the rest of the fall is going to look like, or I think we know what the rest of the fall is going to look like, but what the winter and the spring are going to look like, that the Big Ten does allow some of, its, some of, the, some of the people who, who weighed heavy in making this decision to speak and um, explain to the fans and the parents and the players and the coaches a little bit more um, why the Big Ten felt it was necessary to do this and to do it when it did it, when there was still um, a month, or well, there was four weeks or that there could have been five, six weeks still until the league started playing football. Yeah, well put. Mitch Sherman with The Athletic with us. You had a great piece a couple of weeks ago about if the Big Ten really knew Nebraska would understand the Huskers' angst. Were you surprised at the national blowback to Scott Frost and the Huskers a few weeks ago? Yeah, I was. I mean, I didn't think that what he said on the Monday before the decision or what Nebraska statement said in the immediate aftermath of the decision really warranted any kind of uh, of the uh, like hostility, I guess is the best way to put it, that we got from some folks in the national media. Um, you know, I, I understand, having worked at ESPN, that they have TV shows where um, there are personalities who go on TV and, you know, they'll offer – 10, 20, 30 takes about things that are going on around the country, and then they move on. And a couple of them obviously stuck in the craw of, of Nebraska fans. And, I, you know, I, that's, that's um, you know, those things, I don't know that they're intended, those kind of comments that we heard from maybe Michael Wilbon and Desmond Howard are, are nationally are, – are, are intended to, you know, be these, these long-lasting um, takes. Um, but – you have to realize this is different than like talking about, you know, why a matchup is bad, you know, in the first round of the NBA playoffs or like, um, you know, any of the other, many of the other topics that come up on those shows. This is something that, um, it, you know, affects the livelihoods of hundreds of thousands of people 
around the conference in cities like Lincoln. And, you know, it's a tough pill to swallow when a season gets canceled and businesses uh, are unable to operate uh, as a result. And, you know, entire budgets of, of a place like the Nebraska Athletic Department, you know, can't function because of what happened. I realize this is happening not just in Lincoln, but in other places, too. Um, I, I don't think Nebraska spoke out of place in what it said uh, in the week of, uh, of that decision. And, and I do think some of the criticism what, what was too harsh. I mean, certainly uh, Nebraska was not suggesting that it wanted to leave the Big Ten um, or that it was, you know, shopping for a new conference. That, that's, you know, that's, that's ridiculous, I think, to, to have read that into what, what uh, the leaders in Nebraska said. And, and um, you know, I, it, 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 like I said, the criticism went too far, I thought. Yeah. Mitch, we appreciate it. Thanks, as always. Travel safe back, and we'll look forward to your next piece put up on The Athletic. Okay. Thanks, Greg. Good to talk to you. Thank you. Welcome to our Monday night edition of Sports Highly here on the Husker Sports Network. A programming note, we will have Athletic Director Bill Moose in studio for an entire hour tomorrow night. Our August monthly sit-down with the Nebraska Athletic Director. And yes, the phone lines will be open for you tomorrow night. Hour one of Sports Highly tomorrow night. Bill Moose right here. So look forward to that here in less than 24 hours. Looking forward to this hour as well. Coming up here in just a couple of minutes, Jones Angel, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels, will join us. And we'll also hear from Alan True. He uh, is with Rivals, covers football on kind of a regional scale. And we usually have Robin or Robin Washett, or uh, we also have Nate Klaus from Rivals, who covers just the Nebraska side. Alan covers kind of the regional look at college football recruiting. So we'll chat with him coming up later on in the hour. We'll also open up some phones at the end of the hour if you want to jump on board and have some thoughts about some of the day's headlines. Jones Angel calls play-by-play for Tar Heel football. We had Jones on a couple of weeks ago when we were continuing our preseason top 25. We had North Carolina ranked in that top 25, and North Carolina has had practices going, had to stop late last week, and then resume today. So we wanted to kind of get an update. Where are the Tar Heels in preparation for their Saturday, September 12th opener against the Syracuse Orangemen? Jones joins us now from Chapel Hill. Great to have you with us again, Jones. Let's just kind of lay it out for us. What's it been like the last couple of weeks, and where, where do things stand right now? Yeah, lots changed since then, Greg. It really wasn't that long ago, but you're right. A lot's changed. Um, well, you know, as I, we talked about a little bit a, a couple of weeks ago, you know, I, I think getting your arms around this entire situation is is difficult. Uh, I think it's it's proven that uh, in a lot of different facets of life, and that is included with athletics. And so, um, the big story uh, around Carolina was was opening the university. Um, and then, unfortunately, after just a couple of weeks, uh, you know, really seeing some uh, a large spike in, in the positive test results. And so University of North Carolina in total uh, elected to go fully online uh, for the first semester and encourage students to exit uh, on-campus housing. And I think the numbers now, you know, main campus housing, I think, is down to 15% occupancy or something really low uh, at this point. A lot of people did uh, heed that advice and, and headed back home. And so um, that, that was the major news from the university side of things. How that related to the Tar Heels uh, athletically was that Carolina shut down athletic op- uh, uh 
opportunities, athletic practices for a couple of days. Um, that was Thursday, Friday, and then Saturday, so late last week and a portion of this weekend. Then uh, some of the teams returned to practice on Sunday, and then on Monday uh, football began practicing again as well. And so um, it, it was more of a precautionary move uh, from the athletic side of things with the large numbers of positive tests uh, from the university as a whole. And uh, so hopefully now back to practice, back to work, and, and hopefully those numbers uh, will now be a little bit lower with, with much fewer people uh, now uh, on campus and in the area. Jones, how many, how many practices had, had Mac Brown's team gone through before the delay? Oh, Greg, I think it's nine. Um, they've, they've really spread out the practices uh, with, with the schedule changing and moving, and now Carolina not scheduled to start until September 12th. The, the Tar Heels had actually already begun uh, practice when the schedule then was changed, and so um, they, they really have had to spread things out and slow things down, and so you know they've only had, they've been going through a week or two of just having two full practices on a Tuesday in a Thursday um, and then having maybe one on a weekend and then have some weight work and things like that or walk through things like that on other days, but really only having two full uh, football and practices for a couple of weeks. And so they did lose. Thursday was a scheduled practice day uh, for the Tar Heels last week. Also, Saturday was, was supposed to be their first scrimmage, um, so they lost that opportunity as well. And as I mentioned, returned to the practice field today. Um, and so, in fact, I still need to get clarification. I believe the Tarials uh, are back on the practice field tomorrow and then Thursday, um, but they uh, they did lose two opportunities due to uh, the athletic shutdown. Got you again busy with Jones Angel, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels. Since we talked, Jones, you also have now a new schedule. What what was the reaction? Give me kind of the the thumbnail on what the new schedule looks like for North Carolina. Yeah, you know, Greg, I think from the just sure. Uh, the the COVID side of it, I think it makes total sense for these uh, these conferences to do what they're doing. Um, one, you can keep it a little more geographic. Although, for example, it's not 100% geographic. The Tariels still go to Boston College and to Miami, which are uh, the, the outpost, if you will, of the ACC. And I don't say that in an ugly way. I just mean they're the, the farthest north and farthest south of the league. And so the Tariels still do have a couple of long trips. But for example, Carolina added Wake Forest. In to uh, a game. And so Wake Forest, Winston-Salem, that's 90 minutes away from Chapel Hill. And so that's a lot less uh, travel expense, a lot less uh, just different aspects of of having to get on a plane and everything that that you're worried about right now with the COVID side of things. It makes a lot more sense to have a bus ride and have a game like that. And so I do think that part made a lot of sense for the ACC. Um, The league is still trying to make sure they have that one non-conference game as well. All those games were uh, were mandated to be played at minimum in the home state of the ACC team. Um, Carolina will host Charlotte uh, for its non-conference game in the second week, uh, currently scheduled for September the uh, the 19th. The Tarials lost some marquee out-of-conference opponents. Of course, they were going to start with UCF and then Auburn. Both of those uh, were potentially top 25 matchups with the AP poll coming out. Carolina was 18. I think uh, UCF was right around that range, and Auburn was ranked as well. And so um, those could have been some, some really exciting and special early season matchups. But you hate losing those. 
Um, but I think it made sense from, from the conference standpoint. And, of course, we've seen from all the conferences that are still playing that that is the plan, um, not only from the travel aspect, Greg, but, of course, from the testing mandated side of, or mandate side of things. You, you, can, you can say, okay, all ACC teams have to do this, and they have to do it this way, and, and that can give you the best opportunity uh, to keep those numbers low as best you can. And so hopefully it continues to work, but, man, uh, as we know, this is a day-by-day exercise right now. Things are changing every minute. Getting busy with Jones Angel, the play-by-play voice of the North Carolina Tar Heels here on Sports Nightly on the Husker Sports Network. Jones, what about the testing? Has North Carolina been very transparent about testing results with the football team? How have they fared there? Yeah, you may remember, Greg, early in the process, the Tar Heels had, had a pretty large spike um, once they started bringing athletes back to campus. And the way that, that Carolina elected to do it is they staggered the reentry for the athletes. And so uh, football, men's basketball, women's basketball were the first teams that started to have players returning to campus. Then the uh, other fall sports that are scheduled to compete in the fall started to come back. And then other athletes, uh, for, for winter or spring sports did not return a- until at the time the regular student body returned uh, to UNC to Chapel Hill. And so um, they had a large spike even with that staggered entry early on. I think it was maybe 37 positive tests or something around that number pretty early on in the process. So they slowed everything back down. Um, I think that also gave them a chance to to remind everybody involved uh, of the safety precautions of what was needed to needed to occur to make sure everybody stayed as healthy as possible. And, and since that time, Greg, the numbers from a pure athletic side of things and from the football side of things in particular ha- have been pretty good. Mac Brown said last week that it had been, I believe, three weeks since they had had a positive result on, on a test. Wow. Getting tested weekly, and so um, Mac Brown has done a terrific job with his team in, in managing that and understanding that while you cannot put a college team, especially a football team with its size, in the proverbial bubble that everybody talks about so much these days, but you can really set some guidelines and, and encourage the right type of behavior. Um, Carolina has been very stringent with the mask usage um, at practices. Um, they are limiting heavily who is involved, who can be at practice. There are constant reminders about keeping distance and spreading out uh, during down periods in the practice time. Um, So they really are uh, really keeping their eye on it and trying to do things right to try to follow the guidelines that they've been given to help slow this thing down. And so I think from particularly from the football side of things, um, after that that tough start where I think uh, when everybody got back together, there was that spike. But since then, uh, the numbers have been very, very good. Uh, that's encouraging. All right, uh, last thing, is is the ACC going to protect the divisions on their way to a conference championship? How How are they going to determine that? Right, so normally the ACC is broken up into two divisions, the Atlantic and the Coastal, um, but that is not the case this year. Uh, th- there will just be the one conference this season, and of course we know it's gotten plenty of publicity that Notre Dame mm-hmm. will be involved in that as well. And, and then the top two teams, as far as conference winning percentage, and again, everybody's playing 11 games, with 10 of those 11 games being conference games and one non-conference game. Uh, the, the top two teams, regardless on what division they're normally in or if they've played in the regular season or not, um, those two teams would then theoretically compete in the championship game in Charlotte in December. And so no divisions this year for the ACC, just one big conference and, and everybody going at it. 
What's have the Tar Heel fans had any heartburn about the Notre Dame part of that, or has that been accepted okay? Yeah, you know, Greg, I think it's interesting because I think from the pure fan side of things, yes, there has been some heartburn, and I think. Yeah. Yeah, you've you've probably heard the exact kind of things that that I have and and that many people have of, oh, well, you know, you should have strong-armed them. This was the time to to really make a power play and say, oh, you know, if you're going to join the league, you know, you have to do it now. And, you know, or if you want to be a part, you have to to commit fully. And, And, again, from a pure fan point of view, I fully understand that feeling, that anger. Um, But I think if you look at it, from the much larger picture, um, I, I don't know why the ACC would make that play. Um, you know, Notre Dame has been a good partner with the ACC. The, the Irish bring benefit to the league, and the league brings benefit to Notre Dame. Uh, those two are working together. The Irish, uh, their rest of their sports outside of football are ACC members. Um, they play half their schedule on, on football side of things against ACC teams anyway. Uh, the value that Notre Dame brought uh, to the conference in total was helpful for the ACC network being launched, um, being as successful as it was in its first year. Um, so I don't know why you would leave a quality partner out to dry in a time of need. And I think also, should Notre Dame ever make that choice, um, that it does eventually want to put its football program into a conference, um, that the ACC is, is obviously going to be the one that, that they would join. So it just from, from a much larger strategic point of view, it, it just didn't make sense uh, to, to try to pin the Irish down, to try to pin them in the corner and say, do this now or you're out. Um, <laughs> I think it was a much smarter move to do what John Swafford and the ACC did, and that's continue a quality relationship with Notre Dame and, and see where it goes in the future. Very good. Well, Jones, we appreciate it. Great update. Um, I, I'm, I'm pulling for you. Those of us here in Big Ten country, we're living through all of you for some college football in the coming months, and we're, I'm hopeful that we can see some. I, as a fan of the sport, I want to watch games on Saturday, and hopefully I'm watching the heels here in a couple of weeks. Greg, thanks so much. Thanks for having me on. I hope we can do this and do it safely and uh, have a little bit of football this fall. So this past week was week zero for Nebraska prep football. And I uh, thought it'd be a good time to get Alan on. He covers Midwest recruiting for 24-7 sports. Uh, works with the Detroit News, Big Ten Network every so often. But started off by asking Alan just how different covering recruiting has been for him uh, during this COVID-19 cycle. You know, in some ways it hasn't been maybe as different as people might think because we're still able to cover recruiting the same way. We're still writing about offers and commitment. Uh, I think the biggest difference, though, is the, the inability to travel to, and get to some things. A lot of camps were canceled. College summer camps didn't happen. Um, spring evaluation period didn't happen. So we've had less in-person exposure to the kids as far as getting to meet them and talk to them in person and also see them do some things in person. But as far as the day-to-day coverage of recruiting, that part of it has actually remained fairly similar to what it was in the past. You mentioned missing out on the spring and the summer evaluation periods. Now, that's a big deal you know, for people like you and your business, the way you go about talking to these kids, trying to get inside their heads, but also for the players and the coaches. How, how different has it been missing out on those two cycles and those two seasons of work? You know, I, I think it, it makes a huge difference for us and them. I, I think in the 21 class, not so much because those guys were evaluated largely. They, the kids don't get evaluated off of their senior film or – even summer camp before their senior year as much anymore. So it might may affect some of those guys. But I think it's really going to affect 
22 and 23 moving forward. It's going to slow those down greatly for both us and the college coaches because, as you mentioned, we just didn't get to see those guys in, in person. And a kid can make really big physical jumps between the freshman and sophomore year, sophomore to junior year. So in some cases, you have kids who are growing two to three to four to five inches and adding, you know, in some cases, 10 to as many as much as 50 pounds of weight. Um, if you don't get to see those guys in person move around as, as they develop, uh, you lose a pretty good chunk of that evaluation process right there. What position is it, you know, most important for to get that exposure? Is there a certain position or a couple positions that really benefit from having those evaluation periods, or is it pretty pretty standard across the board that all kids are better off by it? You know, I, I think, I mean, most kids are going to get better, bigger, faster, stronger as they move along. But I think it's particularly important with the linemen, especially offensive linemen. Those are the guys who grow the most. Those are the guys who you want to see kind of physically develop. They're going to probably change more from, you know, freshman to junior to senior year than other positions. Um, I think quarterback is also important because those guys, it's a very kind of technical position those guys get better with every throwing session a lot of them now have you know private quarterback coaches or at least coaches at their schools that they're working with so if you don't get to see a guy kind of progress as he's throwing the football more and more every week every month every year i think uh, it affects quarterbacks a lot too so coaches you know coaches love to be able to go to see those guys throw in person at camp and in the spring so i'd say offensive line defensive line quarterback those are maybe positions you you feel like you missed the most on without these evaluation opportunities. We're talking with Alan True of 24-7 Sports. Alan, when you look at the talent in the state of Nebraska specifically, I think there's a growing feeling that the, the talent in the state is continuing to improve. But how would you grade you know, the depth and the breadth of the talent in these Nebraska prep ranks compared to the rest of the, the area that you cover? Well, you know, I run a big gamut of states from you know Ohio, which produces in some cases almost 200 uh, Division One to FCS recruits to you know states like Nebraska, Kansas, Iowa, et cetera, that may not have that same kind of depth, but have a lot of high-end talent. Uh, but I think you see those states um, every year make progress, and the more that you know, initially in a lot of those places there was pushback against outside training and seven-on-seven, seven, and and you see everybody really embracing that now. So there's a lot of opportunity for these kids to go better themselves to go travel and compete against guys in other state and in doing so expose themselves to colleges outside of the region so i think you see more schools coming in and recruiting those states including nebraska i mean you look at um like i said talked about the 21 class but even moving forward into 22 when you look at the top of that board with guys like deshaun woods devin jackson the guys over at bellevue west those guys all don't just have offers from the regional schools those guys have offers from um, schools that are further away. I don't think that happened 10 years ago. Um, and, and now with Twitter and Huddle and all of the other tools available to them, I, I think schools are more likely to go into Nebraska and recruit those guys because it's not just a done deal that they're all going to be Huskers anymore. And um, those kids are, have also kind of branched out and spread their wings and visited more schools and shown that they're, they're, they're willing to look outside of their home area. You mentioned some of those those players uh, just a second ago, but who are some more of those headlining players from the Nebraska prep ranks that have you know committed for the 21 and 22 cycles that you'll be keeping an eye on this year? Yeah, so you know, starting off right away at the, at the top of the state, you know, we have uh, at 24/7 we have Avante Dickerson, 
um, as the number one guy in the state going to Minnesota, uh, a player with great speed. You know, we, we really like verified measurables. It's hard to get that in a year like this. So when you have a kid like him who has track times, which are very trustworthy down, um, he's tested at some events and then obviously has good film behind him as well. Um, he was a guy who was a fairly easy evaluation for us. Keegan Johnson going to Iowa right behind him, a really good athlete. will probably be a receiver at the next level, but could go either way. Teddy Prochaska uh, going to Nebraska. He's a guy with, with extremely high upside, six foot eight, 280 pounds. Kind of fits the mold of what we just talked about a little bit ago of guys at that position developing physically a lot from their freshman to sophomore to junior year. He's now six foot eight, 280 pounds. And, and that's the way you like him to look. Schools like those lean, long offensive tackles. Uh, and then Heinrich Harburg, um, a, a guy who I had a chance to see in seven on seven. We've seen him at camp. Really like his athleticism. A, a guy who, you know, could could is athletic enough to really play a bunch of positions, but has worked at throwing the football and is going to be a dual threat quarterback at the next level. And think in going into Nebraska is going to the right guy in Scott Frost to take advantage of his speed and size and, and some of his tools. Continuing on the trend of some of those players that come to your mind, who are some of them that you think could be, you know, deciding on where they want to play at the next level over the course of this season? And who are some that, you know, are on coaches' radars, but are really looking to have a big season to get maybe some more of those uh, outside the Midwest offers? Yeah, so, I mean, the top uncommitted guy right now in the 21 class uh, is A.J. Rollins from, from Creighton Prep. And so, and he's got several offers, uh, Nebraska, Missouri, Iowa State, for guys like him, I think it's really tough this year because it, traditionally he'd probably wait in the fall, take some official visits, um, get to see how some of these schools perform in the fall, and now you know, he's not going to have a chance to uh, take those official visits. We don't even know if, if the 21 class will be able to take visits at all before they have to sign again. So, you know, it's going to be a little bit tougher on him. And then, you, you know, when you talk about the schools that he's looking at, some of those schools are going to play football and some of those schools aren't. So you don't really have a season as much to maybe go off of um, when, you, when you look at a guy uh, like, like AJ. So we're still kind of waiting to see exactly what he's going to do um, with his recruitment. Kobe Bretz is a kid at Westside who, who's still in the decision process and I think can still get more offers. Um, he got a big one from Kansas State. That was his first power five. So he's kind of trending in the right direction this summer here. Um, and as a guy who I think maybe not quite done here picking up offers, Alex Bullock, another guy who's starting to, you know, pick up some more interest. South Dakota State recently offered him. That was his first opportunity and, and drawn a few more eyeballs his way as well. Alan True of 24-7 Sports covers Midwest recruiting has been our guest this segment. Alan, thanks a ton for your time. Thanks a ton with all your insights. Best of luck covering this crazy recruiting cycle. And thanks for giving us some time tonight. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Oh, yeah, here we are. Hour number three. Sports Island here on a uh, Monday night. Hope you had a good weekend. Nice warm weekend. Doing warm all week. Supposed to uh, cool off again next week. And I, I'm projecting this will be the last warm week of the year. Really warm hot. As in, warm as hot, in hot. triple yeah. digits? Yeah. Like 90-something, you know. 
I, I think it's you're still going to have some warm days, but you're not going to have a string of like 93, 94 degree days after this week. So we'll see. All right, coming up this hour, we'll have our weekend rewind. Ben has been he he got up this morning thinking about this segment, so we'll get it to him here in just a second, and then later on in the hour, we'll have our weekend winners. But let's get it underway with the rewind. See the game last night? Which game? Many of them. Oh, there's a cat. A black cat has taken the field. A black cat is running from the 20 to the near side, the 10. From the 39 in Dallas, here's a short throw down the middle, caught by Ingram. Caught at the 35, went to the 30. Now the cat running the other way. And so is Ingram at the 30 to the 25, near the 24-yard line. They've stopped playing. The players with hands on hips are watching the cat run and zigzag all over the field. Now a policeman, a state trooper has come on the field, and the cat runs into the end zone. That is a touchdown. Let's check out the highlights. Steven Jackson's David. Reggie Miller's looking good. He shoots a three, and it's good. Later, he gets the rebound, passes it to the man, shoots it, and boom goes the dynamite. It's the Weekend Rewind with Ben McLaughlin. Earlier this morning, ha, as soon as the tag was applied at home plate last night in the Braves game, I started working on this. It was a, okay, it was well, a I, final I inter- out. I'm like, I was so eager. I'm like, hey, you. just got to wait for this game to finish up between the Braves and the Phillies, and then that's it for the weekend. I can start getting cranking away on the rewind. So, <laughs> Pretty cool way to end that, wasn't it? Yeah. Play at the plate? Yeah, it was. Um, man, yeah, it's about as exciting as it gets. If you're the Phillies, if you're a Phillies fan right now, like <laughs> you, you're like you and me and Tim. You just don't have any hair because – Hector Neris, who was supposed to be their guy, right? He, he's been terrible this year. They've had a hard time even getting him the ball. The wheels have completely fallen off him a week and a half ago. They go trade for Brandon Workman from the Boston Red Sox. He pitches on Saturday, gives up the lead in the eighth, and then pitches again yesterday, and it takes a play at the plate for him to, to save it yesterday. Otherwise, he would have blown <laughs> – Two saves in back-to-back days of their new acquisition. So, anyway. Is his name um, Craig Kimbrell? No. Nope. He's, he's actually been better. Craig Kimbrell's <laughs> actually been better. He's been you know terrible. Who ha- this will surprise you. He's Kimbrell's been good like his last three times out. Okay. This will surprise you, Greg. You know who hasn't been good lately? Speaking of the Braves, is Mark Melanson, your boy, from uh, the Hickman Harriers who just could not get anybody out ever. He, so. was, he was put on IL late in the year. <laughs> Well, maybe ought to now in real life, too. Okay, well, we're not starting with baseball, as much baseball chatter as you just got right there. We're actually starting with the association, NBA, starting first with finals from Saturday. It was the Bucks beating the Magic 121-107. Giannis with 35-11-7. Milwaukee takes He's a good. 2-1 series lead in that uh, in that one in the Eastern conference playoffs you you said bucks gonna run the table they're halfway there after a magic win game one yeah that that that's that that little that woke him up it, it reminded me of the last dance season when we talked about jordan and sh- losing to charlotte early in that mm-hmm. series of the bulls and then they just rocked him same yep. thing over with it's also over yep. with between the pacers and the heat miami wins at 124 115 they lead 3-0 in that series uh, despite 34 from Malkin Brogdon, but just not enough. Miami's going to run through that. Tim's been giving you the scores on the Rockets and the Thunder. Thunder uh, were down 2-0 in the series. They win 119-107 in overtime on Saturday, uh, despite 38 from James Harden, and then they win again today. And uh, James Harden not with 38 today, but he did have one in the stat column, that being hand sanitizer 
knocked down to the ground after the, yeah, after the game. He was not happy. How about in the East? You've had three sweeps. Did that surprise you? A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit. Especially the 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 ones that it's been, too. Right. The series that it's been. The, the only one that's not the 1-8. I know. Crazy. That's the only, the only series that wasn't a sweep. Let's go to the 1-8 in the West, shall we? Lakers and Trailblazers. This has been a good series, but Lakers too much late, and there was a lot of LeBron on Saturday. Kicks it out. Trent shot blocked by Danny Green. Trent gets it back. Gets in the paint. Blocked by Davis. Trent back out. Lillard blocked again by Green. Knocked out of bounds. Portland ball. Great effort defensively from Danny Green. Danny Green, obviously the brow and LeBron take care of the Blazers. LBJ, 38 points, 12 rebounds, 8 assists for the Lake Show as they beat Portland. Damian Lillard, 34 points for the Blazers. Lake Show up 2-1 now in that series. That's been, You're right. That's been a very entertaining series just because Portland can really fill it up. Lakers just have too many parts, right? I mean, they just there's too much too much to them compared to Portland. Yes. Uh, Joel Embiid nearly in tears in his postgame saying he didn't want to get swept. Sorry, bud. You got swept. Boston wins 110-106. I, I used to not mind the Sixers. I used to kind of like their, their core, right? I mean, you've got uh, Ben Simmons, Tobias Harris. I, there are a lot of players, Lou Williams, players that – I, I kind of liked, and then Joel Embiid just kind of like ruined it. They, 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 he kind of ruined it all for me for, for the Sixers. Um, he's just completely soured my my thoughts on them. So he's a good follow on Twitter, sure, and he, he likes to run his mouth. Although uh, he's probably keeping his thoughts to himself right now, as Boston just ran a train right through the heart of the 76ers. I still think it 106. I still think it'd be a decent job for Ty Lue or somebody because there's sure. some parts there to build around. Yeah, there is. Uh, let's go back out to the West. The most exciting game of the weekend. Speaking of Los Angeles this time, the other team, the Clippers, and that man who just lit Twitter on fire yesterday, Luka Doncic. Finney Smith to inbound. Back to Doncic. Doncic pulls up. Three-pointer. Bang! Bang! It's good! Doncic wins the game at the buzzer. Doncic, 43 points, 17 rebounds, 13 assists, and the Mavericks beat the Clippers 135-133. That man is just a specimen. You guys aren't old enough, but I'm telling you, this is the reincarnation of Larry Bird. I mean, he is the complete game, the ability to pass, the ability to hit twisting, turning shots. I mean, he is just so, so good right now. What is he, 21? He's still a baby. Yeah, he's young and... Yes. Oh, he's... He's great personality, too. He's the kind of guy, Ben, that he will pull in non-NBA fans into the game to watch him play. He's that kind of a guy. Yep. And I saw somebody poking fun at the Sacramento Kings who chose Marvin Bagley the (laughs) third. Over uh, over Doncic, Bagley hasn't Oops. been like a complete bust. He's been okay, but he just can't ever stay healthy. And then the fact that it was a trade that got Doncic away from Atlanta too made that even better. So yeah, you know, just I, this every draft day. If you take a foreign player, your fans don't know who he is, so they don't like it. You don't win draft day. 
by taking a Porzingis or a Doncic or a Joker. You don't win it, but those guys are so good. Fans can warm up to them, and you just have to be able to take the draft night bullets that you don't take the in the fans' eyes the right guy because you're taking a better player. Unless it's Tony Kukoc, right? We're talking about last yeah. chance. You, yeah. I mean, Tony Kukoc. It's just, it's just funny the the perception that those international guys had. Uh, anyway, you said international guys. That's triggered my mind. Uh, but yeah, huge win for the Mavericks and Dallas. Even that series had two games apiece. In the Eastern Conference, the Raptors hang 150 on the Nets, 150-122. They sweep through Brooklyn, four games to none. So. Toronto on to the next round. No shock there. Back to the West. The Jazz beat the Nuggets 129-127. Donovan Mitchell drops 51 <laughs> for Utah. Jamal Murray drops a 50-burger for the Nuggets. So you had one with 51, one with 50. And instead, Utah takes a three games to one series lead in the Western Conference first round. So big scoring efforts there. What's is it? Is he go by Spider Man? Is that what they call him? That's what that's his nickname. Spidey, yeah, yeah. Spider yeah. Mitchell. That's like. Are there enough? Uh, I'm I'm thinking ahead here. Are there enough kind of those kind of nicknames to do a top ten list for current sports players um, personalities? I I think you could probably get there. Um, you would have to allow like self proclaimed nicknames. Well, you know like I mean? the Honey Badger. Yeah, I mean, there, there, there is. I think there's probably enough that we could get to ten. Should we just, should we just do that should for tomorrow? Sign off on it right now. Sure. Tim, you want to, you want to jump in on this? Is I've, there enough to do this? I've signed off. In fact, I know my number one already, and you guys are gonna hate it, but that's why I'm excited. Fitz, terrific, you, Tom. You are not gonna no. be invited. It actually, to do. oh no, it's not. It's actually, it's gonna actually <laughs> tick off Ben even more than Tom. Oh. Terrific. That's that's what I'm telling you right are, now. Are well, there enough to do a list? Yeah, oh, for sure. Be. Yeah, there's got to be. Yeah, let's make them current. It can't be just some oh, guy yeah. from the '90s. You got to go current. Okay. Yeah, I've got about five in my head right now, so I think All right, we, there we go. do that pretty easy. There's our top ten topic. Man, we nailed that. How about that? Got it. Programming right, on the air. This is how the <laughs> sausage is made, people, right this, here. This is this this is true broadcast professionals <laughs> right here. You get you get to just hear our minds work. Uh, we should be charging for this kind of content. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the ice, shall we? A couple of finals from earlier this weekend. On Saturday, it was the Stars beating the Avalanche in game number one in the second round Western Conference, 5-3. to three. So the Avalanche, who were red hot to finish off the Coyotes, stumbling out of the blocks um, to start this series with the Dallas Stars. So 5-3 the final there. A couple of finals from yesterday. The Bruins get a late goal, uh, and they beat the Lightning th- Three to two to take a 1-0 series lead in the second round there in the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Vegas Golden Knights hang five on the Canucks, mm. and they go up one zip in that series as well. So All one right. good game, one not so good game. All right, Lightning man, what's your confidence level in this series? Out of ten, probably about a four. The Bruins always give the Lightning a lot of problems, and I don't know what it is. And I and I really don't like the Boston Bruins. Like they're they're toward the top of one of the teams I dislike most in the NHL. And, uh, yeah, them and the Canadians, the, the Tampa Bay Lightning just have a really hard time beating Well, because they're good, uh, but they just have a hard time beating them. So, yeah, not not real confident as, as we sit today, especially losing that first game is no fun either. And the other thing about the Lightning is the Blue Jackets skated those guys to death. Even though that series only went five, they had a five-overtime game and then another overtime game in there too. So, yeah, really tough. All right, let's move to Major League Baseball, shall we? A lot to get to here. Uh, over this past weekend, Pirates and Brewers 
at it this weekend. The Pirates just 6-17. and 17. Uh, They're able to, to coax a split uh, of Milwaukee this weekend. Uh, we had a couple of debuts happen, and the most notable was in Cleveland. We talked about Zach Plezak and Mike Clevenger on the shelf. They have to call up hotshot prospect Tristan McKenzie, who hadn't pitched in a game in nearly two years to the day. I want to say it was like five days off of two years before he pitched in a real game. And, boy, I know it was Cleveland, or I know it was Detroit, I know it was the <laughs> Tigers, but he was still dominant. He's had, what, 11 0 counts. He's thrown strikes. He's, he's been ahead of almost all hitters. Good night. I mean, not even fair. Double Ten digits. strikeouts in the Major League debut. I'm going to borrow this joke from a baseball podcast that I listened to. Tristan McKenzie had as many strikeouts as pounds he weighs with <laughs> 10 in his debut. You want to talk about a string bean. It, you watch him pitch, and it's like, how is the ball coming in at 100 miles an hour off a dude that looks like that? It just <laughs> doesn't make any yeah. sense. But he was utterly dominant. Cleveland wins 6-1 on Saturday. Stay in the AL Central, and it was a banner day for Tristan McKenzie. It was also a huge day for once top prospect Jose Abreu. Oh, it hung. Jose in the air, left field, way back. Bring him home. A cement mixer to beat all cement mixers, and it's 5-2. to two. Five home runs in three – and excuse me, five home runs in two days for Abreu. He hits three on Saturday alone against the Chicago Cubs. Wow. And they just dismantle Cubs pitching. 14 hits on Saturday, and Abreu with three bombs. And, yeah, the, the White Sox are no joke. They're, they're a good team. That's unbelievable, isn't it? I mean, what a weekend. Yeah, huge, huge weekend for their bats. And they're loaded up and down that lineup. It stinks they lost Bummer for multiple reasons, but for White Sox fans, he's their most reliable reliever. Um, Their bullpen's pretty solid. Obviously, it would be better with Bummer in there, but, um, yeah, pretty solid, to say the least, uh, for the Chicago White Sox. Let's go out west and one of the biggest stories in baseball, the San Diego Padres, not because of the season that Fernando Tatis is putting together, which – is plenty of story in its own right. But they are just murdering the baseball, and it's not just one of them. It is the entire roster, and this name will sound familiar to Big Ten baseball fans. Jake Cronenworth standing in. This to right field. Reddick going back at the wall. This is Grand Slam Diego. Another Grand Slam. Jake Cronenworth takes it out of the yard to right. The Grand Slams just keep coming on. It's 11-1 Padres. Greg, they had five Grand Slams last week. <laughs> last week. Uh, <laughs> people go entire years. 162-game yes. schedule and don't hit that many. And this one came off the former Michigan Wolverine, Jake Cronenworth's bat, who was he, – he slowed down a little bit, but he is killing it right now. He's hitting nearly 350, wow. and his XBA – is 402. I mean, they're expecting this guy to hit over 400 this year, which is just crazy. Uh, but yeah, he gets the big hit yesterday for the Padres. Manny Machado has come alive. Eric Hosmer had a super slow start. He's starting to come alive. Obviously, Fernando Tatis, some guy named Trent Grisham that probably you've never heard of, had three bombs on Saturday. It's just everybody's contributing right now for them. And they have one of the most excitable young pitching staffs in all of baseball. 
they're fun to watch. I, it pissed me off because I was going up against Tatis in fantasy last week, but now that that's over with, I can sit back and, and just enjoy watching the Padres play because they're really good. They are. Lane Grindle told us a month or so ago about, give me. I said, give me some dark horse teams, and that was one of the ones he mentioned. He loves that young lineup of theirs, and you're right. They're just mashing the ball right now. A couple of injuries that concern me about San Diego though and they both happen in the bullpen they had Kirby Yates who led the majors in saves last year he's out for a significant amount of time and Drew Pomerantz the <laughs> the Minnesota Twins have provided the league some elite closers that they had starting pitchers who were just terrible in Minnesota for years <laughs> um, thinking to uh, uh, Liam Hendricks now with the A's and, and and Drew Pomerantz now for the for the Padres he was their closer he's now on the injured list so Emilio Pagan having to step into that role, but I mean, you're getting grand slams should help, should help the run support sure a little should. bit. So yeah, exciting weekend um, for Bay. Hey, we'll give we'll give Tim Curran's Cardinals some love here. They beat the Reds yesterday six to two. Yadi Molina, the ageless wonder, had four hits. So good for the Cardinals. They are over 500 at nine and eight as they play the Royals right now. Northern they, Trust Golf Tournament thirty blow under. How's that even? How's that even a thing? How's 30. that? How's that real? <laughs> Thirty and, under and, par, and he wins by eleven, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was over at, I was over at our buddy Nick Hanley's yesterday. We had it on, and it, it was the most insane thing ever. I'm like, we we turned on like, well, where, what happened to DJ? Like, why is he not? Because they showed the scores at like seventeen under to twenty one under. I'm like, well, what happened? I mean, did he have like an absolute utter meltdown or what no he was just lapping the field so far ahead his name wasn't even showing up we got a kick out of when we turned it on scott scheffler was i don't know what hole he was on you might be able to help me out with this greg we look at his caddy's laying down in the fairway he cramps up his bag's laying next to him he's on the ground for like 10 minutes until they get medical personnel to get him off the get him off the course i didn't see that scheffler was in like second place at the time he finished fourth but imagine being the group on the tee box. Hey, are they off the green? Yeah, but the caddy's still in the fairway. <laughs> like, <laughs> Got to send the medic. They had to drag this poor guy off. You know, he's carrying this bag around, drag him off. He had to go get a, a substitute caddy. Anyway, I thought it was funny. But 30, yeah, 30 under. 30 under a, for DJ. In a FedEx Cup tournament where, you know, you're playing against the best of the best. And it's his fifth FedEx win. He ties Rory for the most FedEx Cup wins. He doesn't win the FedEx yet, but he went to tournament win the FedEx Cup playoffs. And it's the largest margin of victory in like 12 years on the PGA Tour. He just dominated the field. You know, they're headed to Chicago next. Teddy's going to be covering this weekend. And they might even ask him to, to play. Maybe, maybe and, he needs to bring his caddy gear and catch Scheffler's caddy goes down again. And the PGA Champions or Senior Champions Tour – Phil Mickelson is playing. They started today. They're down in the Ozarks. And, Ben, you've got to see this course. It is gorgeous. It's only been open like two years. It was a Ben Crenshaw track. It, I mean, it makes me want to jump in the car and drive down there and play it. It's just gorgeous. Mickelson rocked it today. He shot like 10 under 61. He's got the first-round lead. They're playing a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday tournament on the Seniors Tour this weekend. So flip it on tomorrow. You can watch Phil go out there and play against. It's his first tournament. Turned 52 months ago. I have played a course at the Ozarks, but it was for a bachelor party, and I don't think that it was our, – our objectives would be the same. If you and I were to go play golf in the Ozarks, it would be a completely different experience. I'll leave Probably. it at that. Yeah. Indy 500 this weekend. Yeah. For those of you that do Indy 500 pools and Drew Takuma Sato, you are a winner. Two-time winner. Chugging, 
chugging the mi- milk at the Indianapolis 500 yesterday. So congratulations to that guy. He's won it twice. Yeah, two-time winner. Getting used to I, it. I, I did not catch any of that, I'll, I'll be honest. I, I didn't I, see a single half lap yesterday. Now, surely you have some EuroLeague soccer in here? Yeah, well, that's what we're, we're going to finish right now. The big epic match where there's yeah. going to be goal after goal after goal after goal finishing a 1-0 final between Bayern Munich and PSG. So I lost that one. I sold it, and I was I was correct. Tim – or was it was it Brett? Brett was all in on all the goals because of what they did to uh, to Barcelona. But no, that was definitely me. I talked myself into it, and I regretted it because Manuel Neuer was in goal and he stymied everyone. Yep, that guy I lost just, that by so. He's just stingy. Neuer yeah. just can't can't I, get it by him. I guess took his place between the pipes and just wouldn't happen. So. You know what, Ben? This this whole this segment I've really enjoyed because you had you got a bunch going on. It's kind of cool, right? Yeah, yeah. And we're gonna there's, we're gonna add the NFL in here in a few weeks. We're gonna add some college football in a few weeks. Quite a lot, which is good. Love it. It's time for our weekend winners. Ben, lead us off. Yeah, a lot of choices here. Obviously. Um, I got to go Dustin Johnson, though. I mean, 30 under par. It's just a ridiculous number. Watching him play yesterday, just firing darts all over the place. And the thought the thought came through my mind, Greg, that, you know, a lot of times these golf tournaments, golfers are playing against the course, right? I mean, they're, they're playing against the course. They're trying to score on the course. That tournament this weekend, they weren't playing the course. They were playing against each other. I mean, it was like the course didn't even matter. The the par the par structure didn't matter. They they were just playing against each other, and Dustin Johnson blew everybody out of the water. It's like <laughs> to not even have to look at the scorecard, look at look at how far it is, and just you know literally pin hunt every single flag and hit every single flag. Just must be an absolutely incredible feeling. You know, he the 30 under par, the only other time that's happened on the PGA Tour is the tournament in Maui, which is Kapalua, which I think the par is 73. That's a course you've torn up several times and you've been over in Maui. So some, <laughs> some guys say that really doesn't count because that thing's kind of easy in a lot of ways to put up big numbers. So he gets 30 under par. He wins by 11 shots. It's the widest margin of victory on the Tour in 14 years. I mean, it's just um, – I think he went – his last three rounds, he goes 60, 64, 63. That's incredible. It's mm, just nuts. Wow. All right, Tim. All right. Got a couple of weekend winners. One guy already talked about, Manuel Neuer, the German goalkeeper. I know Brett's not here, but I got to bring him soccer anyway. Helping his side, Bayern Munich, winning the Super Bowl soccer. The Champions League finally hits a couple of crazy, ridiculous saves. I encourage you to look him up if you haven't seen him yet. Got a guy uses every bone in his body, his shin, his ankles to <laughs> save things. And then, like, half the time you look up, the guy's, like, at midfield. I mean, yeah, he really has no, no bounds. He just kind of runs wherever he feels like. He's a crazy, crazy guy, but a good goalkeeper. Also... Another weekend winner, the Golden Knights for destroying the, Canuc- the Canucks last night. I'm not bitter at all. Not bitter at all, gentlemen, that Vancouver sent my beloved Blues packing. But uh, I just hope that the Golden Knights beat Vancouver by, like, 15 goals next time. <laughs> so all, huh? so are, you, are you checking out now of the Stanley Cup playoffs because N- your team's out, or what? will no, you hang in there at all? No, I'm, I'm, I still have a grudge teams to, to hate. Um, I, I enjoyed seeing Philadelphia get taken down by the Islanders, like, 4 nothing tonight. That was fun. Uh, no, I still got plenty of teams to, to hate watch, so that's what I'm in it for. It's just the the hate. Whatever uh, whatever, whatever fills the heart, Tim. Yep, it's true. 
I'm going NBA as well. I know Luka Doncic got all the headlines, and he absolutely should. He was amazing. But I'm going Donovan Mitchell with his 51 points. What a duel last night with him and Murray of the Nuggets. That was a heck of a basketball game. 129-127, the Jazz win it to go up 3-1 in that series. Donovan Mitchell's just been going crazy in the bubble down there. He is, if you named an all-star team from the bubble, Ben, there's no doubt he's on it. He has just been phenomenal for Utah. Yeah, absolutely. And had a great rookie year, had a little bit of a step back as a sophomore, but he's proven he's a bona fide scorer in this league. And, you know, he plays well off of guys like Rudy Gobert, who's, you know, the elite defender and, you know, you got other guys that are that know their role and play really well in Utah. They're they're, they're solid. They're a solid group. It was a great duel. Jamal Murray goes for fifty One for minute. the Nuggets. Mitchell goes for fifty-one. It was a really entertaining basketball game, and that followed the Doncic uh, exhibition at the end of the Dallas victory over the Clippers. So, some pretty good NBA highlights yesterday on a Sunday. Still, cannot believe that you have three sweeps in the East, and the one that isn't is the one-eight matchup between the Bucks and the Nets. That's going to end. That that thing's going to end on Wednesday. Uh, the Bucks will move on. In the West, you've got some more tighter series, including that Thunder Rockets series, which got tied up earlier today at two games apiece. All right, again tomorrow night, Bill Moose, Hour 1, Sports Highly. It's his monthly appearance here on Sports Highly. He will be taking calls, so I'm sure there's plenty you want to ask. So Husker Athletic Director, as we navigate our way through these rocky times. We'll also have Top 10 Tuesday tomorrow night as well. Thanks to Ben, to Tim, to Austin, and to all of you for being a part of this one tonight. Enjoy the rest of your evening.